welcome again to Gethsemane Sundays from Gethsemane Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Our presiding minister is Reverend Deborah Muter, music by Aaron Smith. The following sermon was recorded February 28th, 2021. According to St. Mark, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter rebuked him. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Now, thinking back on the uh, gathering of four I had up here for the children's sermon, right? Eileen, River, and Kenzie, and Amy, have you guys ever helped your family members do things? Yes. And do you think you were more help when you were two and helping or when you were five and helping? Five. five. And how old are you now, Kenzie? Eight? And, and how, you're five, right? Yes. Okay. And do you think you were more helpful, Kenzie, when you were five or when you were eight and helping? Eight. Okay. Do you think you really were helping when you were two? <laughs> In fact, one of, one of the group that I named who's so involved with whatever he's got, which is fine, if River, how old is he now? He's two. Yeah, is he a lot of help? He helps Grandpa all the time, doesn't he? He helps him fix mowers and snowblowers, and, and, and it's just so much help. Thank you. Perfect ex- illustration for what I need to talk about today. And you know what? You're a good grandpa. You're glad to have him there. And you know that you're teaching him something, maybe about about what you're working on, but even more importantly, that we do things together and and that kind of thing. So so that's good. So here's the question. When grandpa and River are together, who's helping who? Or who's helping whom, right? Okay. Something to think about. Because so many times our relationship with people 
whether it's children or anybody we're working with, can translate over to our relationship with God, or I should say God's relationship with us. Good deal, Ammon, you get to be God in this story. Don't, don't let it go to your head, okay? <laughs> Sherry, you know, keep an eye on that, okay? Sorry to pick on you guys. I know you can handle it. So um, we want to help God sometimes. Well, most of the time. And here, I know this is going to sound crazy, and I might get some funny faces from you, or at least from here up, I'll get some funny faces from you. Please, can we just stop trying so much to help God? Does that sound right to you? No? Well, let's think about it a little bit. In this way. In that way. And now I've got it. I can't stop. River and Grandpa working on a snowblower. How much help is River? Right? You want to help, don't you? You want to help Grandpa when he does stuff like that. Because that's interesting. It's good. Or look at it this way. Those of you who are married or have siblings or any family or work relationships, there's that person who, when you're working on something, comes along and gives you some helpful suggestions on how to do it better. Right? My husband and I learned a long time ago, if there was some project, something that needed to be put together, like a bookcase out of, comes out of a box this big and it turns into a bookcase this big, whoever was doing it needed to be left alone. It was a good time to just leave the house and go do something else. Neither one of us are too good with other people's suggestions at those points. Because those suggestions basically are about saying, I think I know how to do what you're doing better than you. And we don't like that kind of help. And quite often, that's the kind of help we want to offer God. Our great, tiny, human-brained suggestions about how things should go. Here's God's plan. My arms are never going to be big or wide enough. I cannot reach far enough. And here is what we can think about it. And I can't make that small enough. Take, for example, Abraham and Sarah... If you go back in Genesis and start reading around the end of chapter 11, you start reading about Abraham, and you read about him for a long time in Genesis. He, he takes up quite a few chapters. But starting in chapter 12, we have God giving Abraham call and covenant repeatedly. And so I don't know if it's that Abraham doesn't get it, he just needs it repeated. The, gospel, the, the writer of Genesis needed to write it again and again, so we hear it. I know we need repetition, and we certainly get it there. Happens in Genesis 12. Happens again in Genesis 15. A little bit different conditions. And then, and here's, what's the promise that Abraham is given from God? Two things. If you've been in my Sunday school class and we've talked about this, you know, hopefully. Right? I just saw a couple people who've been in my classes kind of dodge behind the person in front of them. Abraham was promised two things by God. Can anybody tell me what one of them was? Take the easy one quick before somebody else does. Well, not just one son, right? Children as many as the stars in the sky, as many, of as many as the grains of sand on the, on the beach. Children, so people and land. Got to have the land to go with the people. What good is it to have a whole bunch of people if you don't have anywhere to put them, anywhere to feed them because you don't have land to propagate crops? And vice versa, what good is it to have all kinds of land if you don't have any people to take care of it, to raise the crops, to care for the animals? So God's double promise to Abraham always was 
People and land, I'm going to give you all this. I'm going to make you your own incredible nation. He says that in 12, in 15, and then immediately afterwards in 15, because it hasn't happened yet. Remember that little, little thing about how Abraham was 75 in the first story, and eventually by our story, he's 99, and he still doesn't have a son, and his wife's just a couple years younger. Okay, what's going to happen? They don't see God's big plan so they decide to take it into their hands and help God. Here, God, we'll help you. You don't seem to be able to get, take this care of this easily, so we'll help God. Now do you see what I mean about helping God? Right. There are good things we should do, but we also need to let God do what God's supposed to do. We're supposed to listen all the time and see what God wants us to do. Abraham and Sarah were not listening because they were coming up with another plan. The first other plan, or one of the other plans, was Ishmael, um, Hagar, Sarah, Sarah's uh, maidservant, was given to Abraham to have a child with, and here, as soon as that happens, things got bad, right? That became nothing but a troubled relationship. Ultimately, God did promise to care, promise to care for Ishmael, and of course, Abraham loved this boy, but it wasn't the son that God had promised. It wasn't the plan that God had promised. They didn't listen. So finally, in Genesis 17, the reading that we had today, the third covenant, this call, he's reminded again, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make you fruitful. And Sarah, your wife, you won't call her Sarai anymore. You'll call her Sarah because she's going to be the mother of nations. She's the mom. You're the dad. God's going to make this happen. And what you don't get to read, you can read anytime you'd like to open up your Bible, when you read from there, continuing in Genesis 17, first of all, Abraham falls down on his face. You've heard of rolling on the floor laughing? That was Abraham, right? He was rolling on the floor laughing because he was 100 years old. He thought he was just about dead. And God's saying, you're going to father a child. And from there, he also, it also says, by the end, but within a year, your wife will have a child. Sure enough, keep reading, Genesis 17. There's some other stuff going on. There's other storylines, 17, 18, 19, and all the way to chapter 21, Isaac is born. Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah. Finally, they listened to God and did what God called them to do. That's the difference between helping and doing what God calls you to do. God knows how things are supposed to go. The thing is that we don't always like to listen to God. We'd rather do things our way. Look at Peter in the gospel. He didn't like even the way Jesus was laying it out exactly. We've gone from Mark chapter 1 all up until this point this year, and now all the way to Mark chapter 8. What we missed is right before this, Jesus has gathered at Caesarea Philippi, it's an important part of the story because there are all these different gods all over the place, idols around. And they all have different jobs or responsibility, a god for fertility and a god for the growth of crops or rain or whatever. And they all have names. And Jesus looks around. He says to his disciples, so what are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, right? Come back from the dead. Or Elijah, uh, or still others, one of the prophets. But what do you say, Jesus says, and Peter in a shining moment, a good shining moment, because Peter has some dark moments too, even in today's gospel reading. Peter says, you are the Messiah. 
You're up there. You are the one who's going to come and redeem Israel. And he was right in part. Peter wasn't listening. Well, he didn't listen to the next part. Because then once he says this, this is all part of the same conversation. Jesus then begins to teach them what the Son of Man has to go through. Peter says, Messiah. Imagine a, a, a white horse, a man on a white horse coming in to save everything. And Jesus says, Son of Man. Imagine, if I may use the example, Mother Teresa down with the people. Imagine the person who gets down and dirty with the people where people are sick or hurting and actually helps those people. Doesn't stay way up high and says, This is what the Son of Man must go through. The human one is another translation for it. Jesus, fully God and fully human. So when he says that what the Son of Man has to go through is suffering, rejection, death, and then three days rise again, Peter wants no part of that. Peter's vision, which is like this, compared to God's. He's not listening. He's not listening. And that is our job as God's people. Not to help but to listen. When we listen, we might hear what God is calling us to do, but if our helping is just our idea of what God can do, it's not help. Today's prayer of the day put it so beautifully in saying that you, God, you made an instrument of shameful death, the cross, for us to be the means of life. Jesus' death on the cross brings us life, as odd and contradictory as that seems to these human brains. God knows what is right for us, and God calls us to listen. Amen. has been a Wayne Shout production. Wayne Shout.